Good to be with you guys today. Look at me, I'm standing. I know, this is the first time preaching standing up since the pandemic started last March. So, and that was all, you know, cameras and trying to figure out the technology of how do you have a preacher who likes to move standing, and so they made us sit in chairs. <laughs> but now we are so advanced, I can stand again. Don't clap, I'm not sure I can do it. I, I don't remember how. So, that's exciting. We are in this series, as you've been hearing, that we're calling Homecoming, and just a couple of reminders of what we talked about last week. Um, when we're talking about home, we're talking about whatever that place is where you feel like you can be most yourself. The place where you feel most comfortable and most connected. The place where you feel safe. And the place where when you're away, people miss you, and when you come back, people are glad to see you. And we said that ultimately, the place that we are the most at home is connected to God through a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our heart's true home. Last week, if you uh, were uh, present, we told two stories, so Pastor Heather and I uh, shared the message and we each told a story, a homecoming story, you know, kind of joyful homecoming stories. I wanna share with one, uh, another homecoming story from my life, this one not so joyful. It was my senior year of high school and we were going to be having our homecoming celebration, it was probably October, and um, I was part of the planning for this homecoming weekend because I was on the student council. And so we had all of these plans all weekend long and it was gonna start with a big parade on Saturday morning going from our high school three miles up the road to where our sports stadium was. And so, you know, there were gonna be floats and fire trucks and bands and so forth. And so lots of planning. Then I got the honor of being asked to drive the car uh, with the, uh, the parade marshal, uh, marshals, actually there were two. So uh, I was uh, given a convert, not given a convertible, <laughs> I was loaned a convertible. And uh, the principal of the high school and the mayor of our town were in the back seat and I was gonna be driving them. Big honor, right? So that day of the, uh, of the homecoming, I'm dropped off by my parents at the high school and we're doing all of the last minute um, organizational stuff and getting you know cars and bands, every floats, everything in the right uh, place in line and so forth. And, uh, and then I see the car that I'm gonna be driving and so I'm now standing by the car and I see the principal and the mayor and the advisor to the student council comes over and he says, wait here a second. He goes over, I see him talking to those guys, and then he comes back and he says to me, change of plans, I'm gonna be driving them, and he starts walking away. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do? And he said, grab a ride. And he gets in the car and they take off. And now I'm looking around and I don't see anybody I know, and now the cars and the floats and the bands are going by and everybody left and I'm standing on the sidewalk as the parade passed me by. I know. Right. And this was in a day 
maybe you remember, there were no cell phones. So I'm there with, with no cell phone and no car. I had to walk, no kidding, three miles home. And I am fuming, right? And I'm so angry that I decide I'm not going to attend any of the rest of this homecoming weekend. I deserve better. So we're listening to this story that we started last week, a story called The Prodigal Son. And last week we told the story of the younger son and the way that he asked his father for his inheritance and goes off to a far-off country and squanders the money away and then comes back and, uh, and the father welcomes him home. This week we want to focus more on the other brother and his response. So the other brother is out in the field he comes home from working, and there's a party going on, and he's confused because he doesn't recall any discussion about a party. And so all of this activity is going on, and so he calls one of the servants over, and he says, what's happening? And the servant excitedly tells him, your brother is home, and your father is throwing him this celebration. So let's hear what the brother's response is. From Luke chapter 15, verse 28, this is his response. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. So he's fuming, right? Are you kidding me? This is outrageous. This brother of mine who lived the way he lived and now we're throwing him a party? You've got to be kidding me. So the father comes out and he's begging the son to come back, to come in and join the celebration. And the older son lays out his argument. I have never rebelled against you. I've done everything you've asked me to do. This deadbeat son of yours wastes all of this resource and now he comes home and you throw him a party. I've been the good son and you haven't even given me a nice dinner. It seems like a pretty fair argument, right? I mean, on the face of it, it seems like a fair argument. And he did everything that the father asked him to do, and he gets, in his mind, Zippo. The brother squanders everything, and he gets a rager party. So now let's listen to the father's explanation. Verse 31 and 32. This is what the father says. This father said to him, his father said to him, Dear son, you have always stayed by my side in everything. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day 
For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Here's what I want to say. I think in this story, both of these sons miss the mark for the same reason, but different expressions. Both sons miss the mark believing that they are entitled to something that the father has. Both have this sense of entitlement. The younger son believes that he is entitled to some portion of the father's possessions and that he's entitled to live his life on his own terms. He believes that that is his right. The older son believes that he is entitled to special recognition for living according to the father's will and to the father's way. Both foolishly believe, I think, that the father owed them. They deserve it. Now, the younger son, by this point in the story, has learned the hard lesson. As we saw last week, that as his life fell apart, he realized he had no entitlement. He deserved nothing, but decided to go home hoping, hoping that his father would show him mercy. Now we see the older son standing outside of the party, and what he wants is justice. He wants justice. He wants this brother of his to get exactly what he deserves, which is to be humiliated and to be sent packing. That's justice. That's what he deserves. Now, I want to start from the position of the father, right? The father doesn't owe either of these sons anything. The father doesn't owe these sons anything. Everything that they want belongs to the father. He earned it. He developed it. It's his. He doesn't owe them anything. He didn't owe the younger son an inheritance or the older son an explanation. You know, I think sometimes we as people of faith have this sense of entitlement when it comes to our relationship with God. Sometimes we may believe that God owes us things like health, money, success, the freedom to live our lives on our own terms, in our own understandings of who he is and how life goes and so forth, that, that somehow God owes us that. And sometimes we believe that God owes us an explanation. 
when things don't go the way we think they should, that God owes us an explanation. The older son hadn't figured out yet that he's demanding justice from the father by saying, in essence, give us both what we deserve, what we're entitled to. I'm entitled, Father, to justice in this situation. My brother should be sent away. I should be rewarded. Because he believes that he's done everything right. Now, here's one thing that we all know from Scripture. In Scriptures like Psalm 14 or Romans chapter 10 that tell us that none of us are righteous. All of us miss the mark. None of us have met God's standard of perfection. That we have all sinned, we all fall short. So when we think we want justice from God, what we really mean is we want certain people to be punished, but not ourselves. I want justice for them, not so much for me. So what's the father do? He doesn't give his younger son mercy as he hoped. And he doesn't give his older son justice as he demands. Instead, what the father offers to both sons is grace. Grace. Unmerited, undeserved, unearnable favor. A free gift. All that the father has He offers to both sons, not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, not because it's their right, but as a gift fueled by love for his sons. You know, we call this parable the prodigal son. And I think we got that wrong. Okay, that's just a title that's been given it's, it's not, prodigal is not in the text, right? It's just, we call it the prodigal. The word prodigal comes from a Latin word which means lavish. So when it's attached to the younger son, lavish means wasteful, right? So he has lavishly lived, lavishly spent, wasted all of this resource. But if we put that same word prodigal to the father, now lavish takes on a very different meaning. The father lavishes grace, lavishes love on these two sons, neither of whom earned it or deserves it just out of the goodness of the Father's heart. You know, last week we looked at 
Ephesians chapter three, verses 18 and 19. And so in 18, Paul is talking about the enormity of the dimensions of God's grace and God's love. The height, the depth, the breadth, the width of God's love. And then in verse 19, he says this. I want to look at it again this week. He said this. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. What he's saying here is as we begin to comprehend, even though it's beyond fully comprehending, but as our comprehension grows in the understanding of the enormous dimensions of God's love and grace, it is life-giving and powerful. It's life-giving and powerful, meaning that we become overwhelmed almost by the enormity of God's grace. And he calls on us to live into that grace and to express that grace, that free gift to others. It's a powerful thing. It's a life-giving thing. Through this story, I think Jesus is telling his followers to know a father, to know a God who lavishes his unmerited, unearnable grace upon us. Just like the father in the parable. And that father desires for his sons to offer the same grace to one another. He wanted the older son to enter into the celebration of this brother who was lost and is now found, who was dead and has come back to life. It would cost him really nothing other than letting go of his self-righteous pride to enter into this celebration. Everything I have, the Father says, is yours. There's nothing more I can give you. It's all yours. So come join the celebration. So, here we are in the 21st century reading this story that feels so relevant. I feel like we live in such a graceless age. We look at social media and the ways that people talk to and about each other is so um, destructive. And it's being felt most intensely by young people as they feel torn down and not good enough about themselves. Our politics are being fueled by fear and anger. 
Cultural disagreements are now culture wars. We live in a time of mistrust and hostility and violence in so many ways. So is it any wonder that we are distancing ourselves from each other? It had already begun, but now with the pandemic, I think, you know, folks are just saying, I'm not re-engaging. I'm not going to get back involved. It's scary out there. It's safer just being kind of on my own or with my own little tribe. But Jesus knows and offers us another way, a better way, the way of the Father toward his sons. It's the way of grace. And when we offer that grace to each other, not because somebody deserves it, but simply out of a gratitude for the grace that God offers us, when we offer grace to one another, it is powerful and life-giving to us and to those to whom we offer it. So here's my thing for this morning, friends. I think that the church should be the one place on earth where people can feel at home. The place where we can feel accepted and safe and connected and encouraged to live the life that God desires for us to live and to take next steps in that growth and I think that the story of the prodigal, uh, prodigal father, right, teaches us that the church can be that kind of place. I think that he teaches us that home is where the grace is. Home is where the grace is. Imagine what the church would look like if we modeled that same kind of grace that we have been given by God. This image of the father who welcomes back the, prodig the prodigal son, right? The one who had gotten so off track. The father who extends grace to this son who feels abused and misused when in fact he had it all. The Father offers him grace. Jesus sacrificed his life for us that we might experience this new life. That's grace sacrificing the self, what we have, what's ours, for the sake of others. That's grace. Not because somebody deserves it, but simply out of a desire to express love and life to somebody. So how's that start? 
I mean, I believe that many of us are living into that. Many of you are living into that now. It's not new. But the way it starts is by learning to see other people the way that God sees us. Imperfect people, imperfectly seeking their way home. Home is where the grace is. So let's stand together for a closing prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this amazing story that for thousands of years has intrigued us and challenged us, amazed us. As we see this grace offered by a father to two wayward sons. And in this story, Lord, we see ourselves wandering off in our own direction, feeling entitled, feeling disappointed when things don't go our way, and forgetting the fact that everything that we have, everything that we experience, you're a part of, and your grace, your grace is sufficient for us, and it is the source of life and power. So Lord, I pray that this church and each of us would be purveyors of grace, having been given so much that we give freely to others. And all of the praise and all of the glory is yours, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. Have a great week, everybody.